there, folks. Are you in isolation? Well, I've got the isolution. Let's do this! This is Steve Martin, not the actor, not the PR guy, the agent from APA. I'll be on Promoter 101 Podcast. Welcome back to the Promoter 101 Podcast. I guess that might just be a tad presumptuous. I just assumed that you've all listened to the show before right off the bat. I am sorry to any new listeners that have just found this podcast for the very first time. Welcome. And what the fuck took you so long? I mean... This is episode 210 already. We've already done a farewell tour. We've reunited and got the band back together. It's time for you to catch up. This is a welcoming place, Dan. Everybody is invited to Promoter 101, and it is episode 210 indeed, and we've got a great episode ahead. We are continuing these cyber panels that Dan has been putting together, industry discussions of the latest happenings during the coronavirus shutdown. Today, we're joined by APA's head of music, Steve Martin, Works Entertainment's David Britz, Joe's on Weed Streets, Ed Warm, also an ACM board member, AEG Presents, Mike Descharm, and Charity Network's Nicole Carlson for a sit-down with Dan. Get ready for it. It's coming up later on the podcast. What a very fun, talented, well-rounded group of people. I got to tell you that David Britz at Works Entertainment Make some very fine points, Luke. I think you should get to know that guy a little bit better. You know, uh, I'll, next time I walk by him, the water cooler, I'll say something to him. That's right. You guys have met, haven't you? Anyway, for our new listeners and our longtime loyal listeners, episode 210 starts right now. Hey, this is David Britz from Works Entertainment, and you are listening to Promoter 101. Tweet. Tweets of the week. Before we get to the cyber roundtable that you all are here for, it would not be Promoter 101 without some tweets of the week from Mr. Dan Steinberg. Dan, you were a little quiet this week. Everything okay? You need, you need to talk to somebody? I do. I think I need to talk to agents. I need to talk to managers. I need to talk to artists because no one is working right now or at least doing any deals. So I have nothing to bitch about that anyone is there to tweet about because no one has got the time to doing ridiculous things right now. Everybody's just shut down. So until we get back up and running, I don't have much to complain about. It's driving me fucking nuts. Okay, then. Well, here's some tweets of the week. Well, seven seasons of the West Wing came in handy while speaking to government officials today across our great nation. Hashtag channeling Josh and Sam. It's nice when your hobby and your job can fall into line. No doohickey needs to make a comeback during these trying times. Hashtag kid of the 80s. I mean, why not, right? Love the 80s things. Maybe we get some new kid stuff, like hanging tough and all that stuff coming back. It'd be great. <laughs> That'll do it for Tweets of the Week. Make sure you keep up with Dan on Twitter. He is at the Jew. I certainly am at the Jew. This is Mike Ducharme with AEG Presents in Kansas City, and we are on Promoter 101. 
So in our featured interview this week, we are very excited about another Cyber Roundtable joined with some great minds from this business, including APA's head of music, Steve Martin, Joe's on Weed Street, Ed Warm, AEG presents Mike D, Mike Descharm in the house, Charity Network's Nicole Carlson, and David Britz from Works Entertainment. Check it out. Promoter 101, we have an amazing cyber panel today from APA, Steve Martin, from Works Entertainment, David Britz, Joe's Bar in Chicago, Mr. Edward Worm, Mike Ducharme from AEG Presents, and from the world of charities and nonprofit from the Charity Network, Nicole Carlson. Thank you all for being here today. Happy to be here. The timing is really interesting because President Trump literally just got done with the press conference in the last hour or so, where he's decided some places can open up again as early as tomorrow. I think the bigger question is, besides affecting the stock market, does he have any power here whatsoever that you think any of the local governments are paying attention to when it comes to opening up? Or you think the local governments, particularly the governors, are following their own lead and watching doctors, so to speak, instead of listening to the president? I think the stand-up routines every night at 6 o'clock are just hilarious, frankly. They're a lot of fun. It's like a Saturday Night Live sketch. He'll get up there and say something, and three other people will go, no, that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's up to the governors. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. We're we're waiting for signaling from you know individual states on the next move, and it was interesting to see. Uh, I think I think it was the uh, Midwest governors all banded together and decided that they're going to be working together with regard to uh, opening up the entire Midwest. So I think we're going to see more of those kind of things um, where you're seeing groups of governors working together and strategizing together to open up specific parts of the country. Um, you know, so I thought that was a good sign today. Now, it turns out that randomly, you guys are all spaced out pretty well across the country. So all major cities, Ed, you're in Chicago, which has turned into a pretty good hot spot the last couple of weeks. What's the vibe there right now? The last two days, people are itching to get out and people are itching for businesses to reopen. But today was, I think, the second most deaths since this all started. So people are listening to the mayor of Chicago and the governor of Illinois. And with your first question, those two are certainly not going to listen to the president. <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting to see which way it goes in Chicago because you've, you've got a lot of big businesses that really want to open up too. So, David, you're in LA and as well as Nicole. So, California, Colorado, and Oregon have already teamed up together almost like a, an NCAA basketball division. So, we're seeing the same thing on the East Coast, which a bunch of the states have come together, where you've got these super PACs already coming up with their own rules, so to speak. California is being a really big state and a lot of people. Are, are you guys seeing people itching to get out too, just like in Chicago, or people following and staying in? I live near the beach in Venice, and uh, I was quite surprised. I've been very good about the stay-at-home order and really, really taking a lot of precautions. I was interested, as now yesterday was 79 degrees at the beach, uh, there's a lot of people out. And there's a lot of people out without masks, which is very disheartening to see. I definitely think people are itching to get out for sure, especially as the weather gets nicer. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing people out and about in the neighborhood with and without masks as they're kind of taking a walk or on their bikes. You know, anytime I'm in a, you know, I've had to go to the store a few times throughout the course of this thing. And at the beginning, you barely saw anyone with masks. The last time I was at the store, pretty much everyone is gloves, masks, 
you know, they're not playing around and, and honestly, they, they shouldn't be. You just shouldn't be out, you know, without gloves and a mask. And you, you hear people trying to contradict or, um, you know, try and rush this thing along. And the reality is, you know, scientists are scientists for a reason. They know more about what's going on than we do. And we need to trust their opinion and guidance. That's what I'm doing. That's what my family's doing. And I encourage everybody to do the same. There's no one on this panel here that doesn't want everything to open up as quickly as humanly possible, but it also has to open up safe because the worst thing that I think that can happen is if we open up too quickly, this thing spikes again and we open and close and we next time we close down, it's going to be worse. Um, so that's what I want to avoid personally. So Mike D is in Nashville, Tennessee. The middle of the country seems to be responding a little different. A lot of states still didn't even close, still up and running, so to speak. So from the middle of the country, particularly where you're at, what's the vibe there? I mean, it seems like Nashville itself, all the tourist areas are just shut and, and locked down. Kansas City was really early. I think they want to say they locked down like the 12th. It was earlier. Most a lot of places went on the 13th. They might have been the 11th. So we were a couple of days ahead of some places. They're locked down currently till the 15th of May. St. Louis is locked down indefinitely. Uh, they don't really have an end date that they've disclosed. Um, Nashville, like you said, they there were people at, down on Broadway for St. Patrick's Day, which was very scary. You know, there was still a ton of tourists out. Um, my building has some, you know, it's a mixed building with some hotel and things like that. So you had a lot of those people made me very nervous. I, so I went in and shut the door and I haven't been out in over 30 days outside of having to get my grocery delivery, which is here. Like I haven't been anywhere and I haven't seen people. So it's kind of hard to tell what's what for me from where I'm at. And I can see there's not a lot of people out downtown, but the weather is getting nicer. And I think talking to the staff and everybody, people are people are getting antsy. I think once you clear that 30 day mark, it's a, it's a lot for anybody. Steve, you're you're up in the New York area. Your office is in Manhattan, but you, you live out in the Burbs, obviously. We're so. at Columbus Circle, yeah, and, I, and I'm up in the woods, about 40 miles north. And when they called on the National Guard originally in Manhattan, it looked like it was a parade with the people just all scattered on the sides of the streets in Midtown. It's like people really didn't seem to be taking it seriously there until very late and got hit, obviously, the hardest in the world. That seems like it'd be the scariest area of the country to be in. Yeah, it definitely is the scariest part of the country to be in. Hopefully it's leveling out. The deaths are going down. I, th- I might have mentioned to you, I have a nephew who's a physician's assistant at Mount Sinai, shuttling between Mount Sinai and St. Luke's on the west side. And he was one of the pe- people you saw with gar- a hefty garbage bag for his PPE. They couldn't handle the people coming in and the stress and the emotional stress and the, what's going to end up being PTSD for the people in the emergency room and the ICUs is severe because they're not used to people coming in and dying on them in these numbers. They used to keep people getting better and leaving. And the scenes in the intensive care when they're intubating people, putting them on ventilators, it's just incredibly sad because they, people know they're saying goodbye to their loved ones via FaceTime with the nurses and the doctors facilitating that. And it's taken an enormous emotional toll. New Yorkers will still go at it, but I, I, you know, I haven't been in Manhattan Unfortunately, in a while, I, I would like to go down just to take a drive, but my family's saying, don't do that. If you get into a car accident, what'll happen? Uh, but friends of mine down there, it, more people are wearing masks and they're taking it seriously because we're getting to a point where everybody will know someone who's died from it or knows somebody who's had it. 
and gotten through it. I know two people that have died from it and probably another eight that have gotten through it. Mm. And those numbers are going to go up. There's going to be no good news on this for a while. There's a lot of harsh realities going on out there. I think the question we all keep hearing is when our show's going to start. And I think we've all come to a realization that the last thing that's going to happen is sports and concerts. I think we're all at a point where we realize that governors are going to start the clubs and the theaters and then the arenas and then the stadiums. It's going to be a ramp up before we're going to be able to see festivals with large numbers that it's going to, you know, we're going to start small with the 10 people and the 50 people. I think the president probably got that right with, with his level of rolling things out, that it's going to be very small then still small. And then just a little bit like releases at a time until we get back to a point where we can put people in a room to listen to music. So bad news for our industry all the way around, regardless of how it opens up around the country. It seems like that's going to be, we're going to be the last ones back in business. Yeah. This seems like an interesting moment for the industry that you're in, Nicole. People are worried about money. And at the same time, people are all seemingly very charitable right now. It seems like there's a lot of things going on. How is this affecting your world? Yeah, you're exactly right. So for the two platforms that we work with, Prizio, Sweepstakes Platform, and Charity Buzz, which is an auction platform, it's definitely been interesting because what we've always focused on and gravitated towards are physical experiences with artists, celebrities, business people. And um, we're definitely made a very quick shift to go more towards virtual experiences. So easier on everyone involved. And the artists are definitely coming to the table with regards to one-on-one concerts. We're getting ready to launch some pretty amazing campaigns with some amazing artists that are looking to activate, getting people excited about music and making sure that they stay engaged, but also raise money for some really, really amazing causes. You're right. It is a tough time to be asking people for money. The sweepstakes platform is just $10. That's all it is. A chance to virtually meet your favorite artist one-on-one. And those can raise quite a significant amount of money in a short amount of time. On the Charity Buzz website, we're seeing a lot of actors I've had a ton of actors reach out directly because they're all home and they're all bored. We've got people from Homeland, people from Game of Thrones, all these different people that the actors are just sitting around. So they want to do all these Zoom calls and raise money for their favorite charities because so much of these, you know, the relief efforts for COVID, it's that is real and that is there, but still wonderful organizations still need to be raising money every single day. So it's a mix of what people are are coming to the table to support. That's some good news. A little bit of silver lining. People are giving of their time. It seems like everyone in the world is available right now. Everyone is available. All of a sudden, there's no problem to schedule these things. They're like, can we do it now? We're bored. We'll do it now. So it's fun. It's good. Literal list on my desk of people that I've wanted to be able to meet whether they're in the industry or not that I've been keeping tabs of reaching out to people and finding that you reach out to someone and ask if they can make time over the next couple of weeks everyone responds they've got nowhere else to go they're happy to take the time and you know have a distraction so it seems like there there is a silver lining there the people you could normally have a very hard time getting on the phone this is probably the time to try that and it's nice to see even celebrities are giving of themselves right now that, that's that's very cool Ed, you've got a business that you can't do virtually. You need the human experience to sell beer and to have them in your venues, whether musicians are playing or not. What does the future look like in Chicago as far as opening up at any capacity? We don't know. They they haven't given us any guidance. And we worry about capacities to start with, where they're going to 
ramp it up, what they're going to let us out out with. We heard we heard Wisconsin was starting at 25% when they were going to open up in places. And how does that look with, with shows that you have booked? You, we, we all know that shows don't work at 25 or even 50% capacity. So what do you do? Do you do two nights with somebody for the same amount of money? Are 25% of the people not going to have money to go out and another 25% of people afraid to go out? So what you think might be 50% might really, you know, who knows? my math that I just did, but it's scary. And we, and we don't have any guidance. Well, I mean, you're GA. So thank God for that. At least 25% of the house, you can still like figure out somehow opposed to the seated venues, which is more of Mike's day-to-day world of figuring out how you do social distancing in a reverse seated setup when they let us go back, they're going to make us space people out and how you make that tight deal work. So I, I think a big thing that we're all going to have to focus on is yeah we'll we'll all figure out how how we're going to seat people and how we're going to let them in how how it's going to look like when they're in but i think a big thing that people are going to look that customers are going to look for and the governments are going to look for is how you let people in and and how you do your entrances and how you're checking people and you know from standing in line to are we are we taking people's temperature are we are how are we showing that we're providing a clean environment for people those are those are the things that i'm thinking about right now so let me play the devil's advocate with all of you. Maybe maybe one of you amongst the minds on this call might have an idea. As we start to see people opening again before things get flattened out completely, don't we run the exact same risks of this catching again? It's still viral. It's still incredibly easy to get. Most of the population still hasn't had it. We don't have a cure yet. We don't have enough people that have had it that have built immunity that'll help with the herd effect. There's no vaccine. What's to stop this from just respiking immediately? The fact that you're all shaking your head scares the shit out of me. I mean, nothing. I don't think there's anything to stop it from spiking. I think we're, you know, trying to actively open things again too quickly is, like David said, just going to perpetuate the problem. I would rather us all continue to hunker down in the short term and try to get on the other side of it as much as we can. I think the reality of trying to put a show on sale and sell tickets right now is abysmal. I don't think anybody's going to be buying tickets I don't think it's it's wise to try and get people back out there. I don't know how you separate people. Even if you have a GA room, if you could put X's on the square and expect people to stand there, they're not going to stand there. How do you, if you kept them in out of space, down in line, how do you handle it at the bathrooms? How do you handle it at concessions? We are actively looking at how we, you know, take above and beyond precautions and cleaning on a daily basis. And we were starting to do that leading into this and, you know, hand sanitizer stations everywhere, a bunch of extra precautions, which are expensive. So we're adding expense in a, in a time where, you know, we already have uncertainty of how things are going to perform, but we have to bake that into the model of how we look at shows moving forward, because I think that's the reality we're in. Okay, so we saw Jazz Fest cancel yesterday, which I think is going to be the first of the festivals at the end of the summer where we're going to start to see some of these start to fizzle away because what looked like an impossibility when we moved some of these events is coming to fruition. You guys see any of these festivals in America playing out? Any of your large scale events, and I'm talking your 30 to 50,000 person events, I think there is a very, very small chance that any of these play out in 2020. And that's just... What we're already seeing in Europe is most of those events already going away. Exactly. And 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 listen, I am I'm definitely a glass half full guy. You know, and I try and see the upside in in everything. But the reality is, it's just not realistic. It is not realistic to think that we are going to have large scale gatherings 
And by large scale, I'm talking about festival size gatherings in 2020. Um, you know, I'm seeing some of the major summer tours that are still rescheduling dates, you know, as recently as a week ago into July and August. And I just, I just don't understand it. You know, to me, that's an act who's telling their management that they absolutely want to do a tour this year without any semblance of reality. I just, I do not see how that's going to happen. It's um, a fool's errand. <laughs> it, it is. And, and it's at some point you just got to sit people down and say, listen, this is, this is just not going to happen. All right. So we're seeing mayors already coming out saying that maybe no sports or concerts in the year at all this year. That's going to have an impact on our business because the mayor's actually, unlike the president probably, actually can dictate our venues can't open back up. It's an interesting moment because you've got people still trying to route tours. You've got people trying to move dates. You've got people trying to leave dates in. The industry seemed like everybody had each other's back. It seemed very loving for the first couple of weeks. And now as the deals are trying to be worked out and things are trying to get fixed, it seems like we're starting to see a little bit of crack. You haven't heard a lot about the task force alliance in a couple of weeks. It doesn't sound like that showed bare. Everybody had their own agendas at the end of the day and couldn't negotiate across sweeping boundaries because different managers have different thoughts and agencies can't speak for everyone in one shot, it seems. And certainly not everybody's going to agree the exact same thing. So maybe it's not going to be a cookie cutter answer, but seems like there's, we're starting to see some ruffling of the feathers and everybody thinking about the long term of how their companies are going to survive. Are you guys all feeling that individually? Steve, what's going on in APA? You know, it varies. Just to go back to your last point, one of the few people personally that I find credible and listen to every day is Dr. Fauci. And to me, the only important points or the most important points he's brought up are the vac the virus sets the timetable. Everybody else can talk about what's this and what's that. The virus doesn't care. Number two, we don't know if it's going to die in the summer. We just don't know. It flourished in Australia and Iran. He didn't seem to bother it. And to everybody else's point, you're right, going too soon is just going to cause it to spike up again. And until there's a vaccine, which at best might be the end of the year, but might probably early next year, the mass gathering business is in a lot of trouble on any level. I don't care if you're a, a basketball game, a concert, a convention, a casino, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, sports, on the other hand, has the ability of using TV, so they can play to empty rooms if they True. can get it up. Basketball's going to have a little more problem, I think. And some of the less contact sports like yeah. baseball or football where they're wearing pads and they don't touch each other as much. Chasing each other up and down the court for an hour nonstop in basketball, it's going to make that tough. It's a pretty right. intimate sport. And how do you quarantine all the players, all the support staff, all the people that have to operate the arena for, what, three months? You're going to quarantine these people? You're going to tell a basketball player he, he's not going to go out and have a drink with somebody? <laughs> or, or a baseball player? It doesn't matter. Well, and I think the other thing that nobody's really thinking about is once we do have the vaccine, talking about 330 million Americans to vaccinate, less than 1% have had the virus so far. So 99% of America, just America. So we need about 300 million doses to make this work. I don't think those are produced overnight. I don't think they're distributed overnight. And I don't think handled. I mean, if we've seen anything from testing, this is going to take a minute. Yep. To manufacture, get out, distribute, and get to the people. So just because we have the vaccine doesn't necessarily mean we're up and running again either. Yeah, I think to that point, we're in for a long road. And I think the sooner that we realize that, the better. 
my thought process is I'm sure all of you guys is, you know, it's, it's changed and evolved. Some days I wake up and I have those moments where I'm incredibly, you know, bummed and, you know, disappointed about what's happening and wondering what's going to happen in the future. And then I have those moments where I get really energized about the possibilities of what can be done during this. And I'm trying to focus more of my energy on what the potential is with this and what can be done on the charity level, what can be done, um, you know, on the business development and outside of touring, all those other businesses that we wanted to grow that we didn't have time to focus on outside of touring that we can now focus on. Like, how can we shift our energy and our mentality? Um, and I think that, you know, that's something healthy to be doing right now because it, it is going to be a long road before we get back to, to doing what we all love to do. David, call me. Charity, call me. Absolutely. <laughs> just, a, just a note about being so careful with the venues and all the wonderful precautions that you guys are taking to make sure that the venues are safe and clean. My sister is a police officer here in Los Angeles, and every day is a new 14-day quarantine. I mean, she's with people every single day now. So being on control and being around people it's really never going to be safe for me and my family and our nieces. It's never going to be a hundred percent safe to be around my sister until there's a way to, you know, ensure that she's got it or has, is immune or whatever the case is. So it's a sad way to look at it, but it's true. I was talking to David Britz earlier this week about our on sales for straight now chaser. Normally we could go up in May for the winter tour. And obviously you don't want to put shows on sale in the middle of all this. Eggs, you don't know how long it's going to last. Why put shows on sale that may not play? And B, because who knows if we don't see the end of the light, if it's where the, if that's wasted money, right? So you've got that on top of me and Steve had put a tour on sale that happened to fall the week that this all came crashing down and people weren't paying attention to buying tickets. It was the, the day end. it came down. <laughs> right. So in general, an act that, that I've done for years that always breaks with usually between 30 and 70% of the house between the pre-sale and the on-sale, went up with about 7% of the house. Like, yeah, I was going to say maybe, yeah. <laughs> I so, was surprised that sold that many tickets, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but amazingly, and it's a market we've done before, we know that the, there's a demand there. So just the focus on the attention is just not there. And by the way, that, that show is not particular to the time. Everything we put up that week was way off. And, you know, it's just like, you know, luckily most of those shows are going to have to move anyway. And we're going to another chance to break most of that stuff. You can see that anything you're putting on sale or tried to put on sale, people aren't thinking about going to shows and people aren't spending money on concerts right now. If you're looking at daily wraps, nothing's moving. And when the unemployment hits 20%, what do you think is going to happen then? I talked to this about my staff. Everything's interconnected. It, our business is connected to every aspect of the hospitality business. And when I, I said to uh, on one of the staff calls, Macy's just laid off 130,000 people, right? AMC is closing. Those are the people that buy tickets to our shows. The American Mall is going to go over the cliff any moment. Because Macy's is an anchor tenant, AMC is an anchor tenant in a lot of those places, and the, the malls were on the edge of the cliff before this happened. What happens to all those people who are out of jobs when they all close? Yeah, people are screwed. I think Amazon and some of the takeout home places, takeout places are the only things that are flourishing in this moment for sure. Steve, I was told by one of your employees to ask you about 
the Zoom calls that you do weekly with your staff? Uh, twice a week, yeah. Tell us about that. That seems like a good thing that your staff is enjoying. Do they? That's good to hear. They don't tell me that. God bless them. <laughs> you know, it's just a way for people to stay stay connected. One is, we, we call it the coffee break lunchtime, but depending on where you are. It's an optional thing to come just hang out. And really... I want to find out what's going on on the streets in Toronto and in Nashville and in L.A. You know, there's only so much stuff you can talk about about our stupid business of how many tours we can move. And I was encouraging people early on when they were moving shows from March to June. I'm going, I don't think I do. If I were you, there's some tours that have moved like three times. And my attitude is, as I said before, the virus is going to set the timetable. You know, you can hold dates, but. As far as what the deals are going to be, what the ticket prices are going to be, what the capacity is going to be, nobody knows. And it's going to be a step-by-step process. And it's going to be, you're right, Dan, it's going to be a long process. So you have an amazing number of agents at APA. You guys are one of the bigger, big six agencies. And hopefully by the time this airs, it's still six agencies. I think it might be five. <laughs> Let's see how many are standing by September. <laughs> it's an interesting moment. And I think that's going to be a thing too. I mean, it seems like when we get through the other side of this, there's going to be a lot of opportunities as well. When we came through the economic downfall nine or 10 years ago, my company grew in a mass way coming out of it because there were all of the venues that made a living on sponsorships and um, grants didn't have that funding anymore. And they needed someone to play bank and they needed someone to come in and do shows in their venues. And they were very open to creative deals as were the acts right. and it was a flourishing business. And, I mean, I think that's part of how I got into business with David Britz was a need for the ability for somebody to be able to go in and creatively cut a deal in places to make his tour work because there was a lack at that moment with what was going on in the economy of some buildings that were willing to take chances and their season's getting smaller. I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity for the people that survive. Yeah. It seems like there'll be a growth boom for anybody that comes out the other side. You guys all seeing that and starting to see that? Yeah. Less competition, so there's going to be more of a runway. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely going to be some some unfortunate casualties, um, you know, during this whole thing. And you know, listen, we're all competitive people, but no one likes to see anyone go out of business. That's just not something that any of us wish on, you know, even our worst competitor. Um, it's just not good for the health of the overall business. Uh, well, my worst competitor, me. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Fair enough. But, you know, no one likes to see that, but we are, we are going to see those. And I think, you know, the people that survive and the people that thrive through this adversity are going to be the people that think creatively and aren't afraid to be aggressive and, um, you know, are, are just able to, to, to watch the signs and watch the indicators and, and, and make the right moves. Um, you know, and, and you will see people do that and you will see people come out of this um, in a better position than they went into it. Now, Mike, I feel like for the first time since you've been at AEG and I've been at Live Nation, we're not competitors. And you and me don't tend to partner more than compete, but in general companies, I don't feel AEG and Live Nation are each other's competitors at this moment, but they're more fighting to stay profitable and keep their, their acts and their people employed opposed to worrying about what the other one's doing right now. I think 100%. I think, you know, we're always in the business of content and fighting over every show. I think our desire to be, to have the most shows in the market might not be what it was. The appetite for all that risk is probably diminished because, you know, it isn't necessarily a volume game. I think if we're looking at trying to mitigate losses and things like that, potentially right now, it's a, it's a, 
really just having to do good, cut good deals and, uh, you know, stand by the agency that's always stood by you as best you can and do the best you can for everybody. And I think we're all kind of in that boat. We can't worry our, we'll be the last people kind of think in terms of like the promoters are going to be the first ones to have to pony up guarantees and do those things and take the risk at, as well as the bands, you know, that go out there and take the lesser guarantees or that partner with us in some of these instances in terms of what the deal structure is. So yeah, I don't think Live Nation, I mean, I talk to Traeger all the time. We're not, you know, I think right now it's just like, how do we all kind of just get through this? I feel like that's across the board though, with agents and managers and everybody you speak with venues, we're all, everybody's just like, what do we got to do to get to, to get to the point where we're back, you know, kind of headed in the right direction together. So. And it seems like there's going to have to be some compromise and working together to get the trains back on the track. Once things are running again, I feel like there are a couple of agents and managers that may have not gotten the memo yet. Deals are going to stay the same. If you want to be in business with my act, suck it up or we're moving on. The date's moved. So force majeure is an apply, does apply and you have the ability to cut a new deal before you lock in any terms. So there is a moment here to renegotiate, talking about the ad money that's gone, talking about anything else and expense-wise and talking about the new economy, taking in all the factors into account of will people be able to, will people be able to afford tickets? Will people be able to go to shows? What happens when refriends get turned back on? Here's all of these factors that people may just, as much as they want to go to the show, they may be afraid. So, you know, if you weren't already there, if you weren't fur enough or long, and even if you are, even if you were 2,000 tickets in a 2,100-seater, what says a thousand people still show up for the new date? It'll be very telling. I think as the refunds start to roll in, kind of what we can expect, you know, I think we'll start to see, see that attrition. I think, you know, we've looked at the secondary market to see how many tickets are out there. I got to think that all those tickets are immediately coming back. You know, anybody, any of the scalpers who bought up tickets are going to dump all those tickets. It'll be interesting to see how the next two weeks play out and what that trajectory looks like in terms of, refunds you know it's, it's, it's going to be really hard to cut a deal right now before you can bake in a little bit more information and why don't you guys have better bots so the ticket brokers couldn't buy your tickets <laughs> <laughs> it's not such a bad thing right now the ticket brokers are stuck with the tickets uh, suddenly it's like turn the bots off let them have them let them have them spread some risk yeah, those poor ticket brokers. We need to help those guys. They're not going to be in business on the other side of this. We're giving them an out, so we have to. <laughs> right. David, your acts are all off the road, but they need to make revenue. You were talking about creative ways that you guys might be able to get the address register going again. What, what are some of the things that you're trying to do to stimulate sales? Uh, I think one of the things that we are... Uh, that we're doing is focusing a lot on the, uh, the online concert uh, streaming business. Uh, be it Stage It, uh, Facebook Live, um, all of those avenues have become really viable for our clients right now. I, I think almost every one of our clients um, is on uh, Stage It, with the exception of probably two, um, you know, doing a show a week. And we've seen real traction there uh, from, you know, advanced ticket sales to that platform specifically has a tipping feature. So we're seeing them make real money um, that is in the short term sustaining while, um, you know, they're at home. And I think that's been something really great to see. And for us, um, you know, that's a model that we're going to continue um, moving forward is, 
hey, listen, you know, we can augment live performances in front of fans with these sort of intimate at home uh, streamed performances. Um, and we're going to continue to do that beyond the, the whole COVID thing. And I think I'm also trying to put contingency plans in place should things continue to move in the direction that they are. And, you know, our dates are affected, you know, in the fall, you know, and I've got a couple ideas of things that, that I want to do in ways that I think that we can go out and do full production shows with no audience and still generate um, revenue for our fans and, you know, keep people working. So, um, you know, I'm working on all of those things currently because the last thing any of us want is to be caught flat footed um, with this. Okay. So way to create new content and revenue in this time period to find, to get the cash register going, connect with the fans directly. Well, it's also old content too. I mean, we, you know, for Strano Chaser, for example, we took two old uh, recordings of shows that we did, one at Red Rocks, one at the arena at Mo- Mohegan Sun this past year, and we're premiering them on YouTube, specific time and date. We put it up, we premiere it. Um, we encourage fans to donate money to charity um, to support watching it because we don't charge for it. Um, and we premiere it, and as soon as it premieres, we pull it down. So it's tune-in, appointment viewing, and it's working. The first one we did for Red Rocks was a massive success. You know, we had over 20,000 unique people watching the special, 7,500 people at any one time in there watching this on appointment only. And as soon as it was done and we pulled it down, uh, we're going to do the same thing for Mohegan Sun. So it's being creative with content that we have sitting on a hard drive that people have never seen. And now we're just, people are sitting at home. Let's put it up. Let's let people, um, you know, have something to look forward to. Always been scared to find out what else is on your hard drives, David. I'm very scared. (laughs) It's just pictures of you, buddy. (laughs) There we go. Hey, Ed, as far as being a venue that usually only focuses on live shows, you've got a staff, you guys have a kitchen and a bar. Are you guys thinking about turning it into grab and go food or something to have revenue coming through there? We've thought about that. I'm looking at a couple options to do uh, like a pop-up bar and a theme for the, for the summer where you can, you know, we've got an 1100 person capacity. That's like, okay, well from seven to 30, you can let 250 people come in and do the tiger King experience. And then 250 people from nine to 10 30, just trying, trying to get creative and do anything that we could still get bodies through the door and keep a staff employed. And so far, has anything popped out of that, or is that just it's all ideas right now? Well, we're wait, we're waiting to find out when we can reopen. So, Mike, is, obviously the shows are down for you completely at the moment. Is there? How are you keeping your staff busy? Well, they're not. There's not much to market. You know, the, on the I think in the marketing, we're kind of you know just working on strategies for how and when we are able to roll out shows again, and what that looks like, and how we stagger that traffic, knowing you're going to have a whole backlogged amount of fall shows potentially or whatever it is how do you stagger those and manage those rollouts so you're not cannibalizing your own business and also addressing the reschedules publicly and rolling those out so it's that's busy with what they're worth what they're doing i think uh, they're also you know trying to do some good things organically on socials to keep us you know kind of out and face the public but not just pushing show content right now at a time where it doesn't really feel appropriate. They're busy doing that. I think I've got, you know, I've crossed, I've taken the opportunity to cross train people because we never get this downtime. I hope everybody in my office knows how to settle a show 
by the end of the month, I think everybody's got the opportunity to get to deepen the bench a little bit. So we're taking advantages of the time where everyone's not just buried to try and build the team and make it a little bit stronger. Steve, are you seeing any new business being developed at all? Is there new offers and new shows happening at this time? Uh, you know, there's some stuff for the fall in the casinos. Some casinos think they'll be open. And, I'm, and some of the younger bands in the smaller venues might be okay. But I do caution people, you don't know. You just don't know. And no, the, the larger promoters are still, you know, holding tight. They'll hold the dates. You, you know, AEG, we had a very nice call with, with, with Rick Mueller, who, who did an excellent job trying to sell the position there. Uh, no, I mean, the, the two major companies are being understandably extremely cautious right now. Okay, is this a moment for the independents to run away with the game? It's a big moment for the independents, <laughs> yes. I support independents, as you know. <laughs> Your model is quite good. Yeah, I gotta say, I would be terrified to not have the umbrella that I'm under at the moment, which right now, yeah. 18 months ago. I'm not sure this come up that based on the volume that me and Jason carry, that we would have been able to find the other side of this moment mm-hmm. uh, with how long this is going. All of the independents that I had talked to when this first came down said, we've got great cast positions, it's a huge opportunity, we're going for it. And now that Live Nation and AG maybe aren't sending offers for a moment, we're, we're on this. I'm kind of wondering, and I'm seeing some of these guys put shows on sale, and if you look at the Ticketmaster active map, these on sales are not working out for them. <laughs> and I'm not sure, I mean, me and in general, I mean, I've, I've seen about 40 shows that I got pitched that I did not submit on that an indie took across the country. And regardless of what it was, almost all of them, they're very good seats still available. Um, So maybe that'll change when things open up, but it seemed like a weird time to put shows on sale. It seems like a weird time to step up and take more risks, particularly if it's coming out of your own pocket. And, you know, and I'm hearing, I think, the same rumors and seeing the same thing that everybody else is. Companies stepping up big right now and some of the other really big independents are are really going for it. I'm just kind of wondering if this goes into 2021 will any of those guys still be in business that's a good question and i i the macroeconomics of it really haven't been analyzed yet is a hundred dollar ticket that was a hundred dollar ticket last week is that going to be a hundred dollar ticket for 2021 or is that going to be a forty dollar ticket or a three hundred dollar ticket you don't know. You can't apply the same math necessarily. Because again, you go to unemployment, then you go to the government's printing, literally printing trillions of dollars to help bail everything out. Well, there's an impact on that too. Inflation could go sky high. Well, your you P1's don't still yeah, P1. Milk though. costs twenty two fifty in six months. You don't know. It's going to affect your P3s and your P4s, but your yeah. P1, and you're going to pay whatever it is that Bruce Springsteen wants you to pay for that P1 ticket because you're going to go. We'll see. In theory, you're correct. The day you <laughs> pass on a, a, a Springsteen concert, pre-coronavirus theory, I would agree with you completely. <laughs> um, it, it, you may not value the artist as much, but you know your platinum artists that are just you know on the top tiers of you know touring every year are still going to be you know have the the rich audience that are going to come out and the buy them. People will will always be be able to to get those seats. Absolutely. How that filters down to the rest of the industry on the acts that aren't is quite in demand is going to be a whole different case. Right. Nicole, what opportunities are out there right now for your side of the industry? 
That is a great question. What I think that what we're doing right now with pivoting into these virtual experiences, we've never done them before. So it's, you know, we've got, I know this isn't music, but a virtual golf lesson with Rory McIlroy coming That's up. Cool. A virtual workout with Conor McGregor and a virtual guitar lesson with Pete Townsend. So we'll, we'll be able to see in the next couple of weeks if people value that sort of not really in-person experiences, but still one-on-one experiences with a celebrity, with an artist, if they value that as high as they would normally on Charity Buzz. And uh, that is, that'll be interesting. And we'll see all those roll out in the coming weeks. But I think what we're looking at, and I hope it applies to all of us, is right now there's a lot of Again, I'm only talking about our sort of bidding in this charity world, but a lot of aspirational experiences for 2021 are selling. We're, we are definitely seeing travel packages for 2021 and the, you know, the Grand Prix, Monaco Grand Prix just sold for $30,000. We're definitely seeing that sort of people looking at the end of this and still having hope that it is coming. And then I think that at, in the next month or three or six, that pent up demand that's going to have been percolating for all of this time is going to be there for all of us in the new year. All right. Before I let you guys go, and I can't thank you guys enough for making time. What's the good news in your mind that's going to come out of this? I mean, a lot of us are seeing at least Mother Nature is seeing some like effects of pollution go away at the moment. What's the one thing that's coming out of this that you're like, okay, the silver lining for me is this. Let's start with you, Mike. I was, I, I was, I'm happy. I, I had a pretty good run of shows leading into, I think that the 11th, I probably saw eight shows in two weeks, you know, which is, was a lot of nights out and I'm glad I did it. Um, but I think anytime you take a step away and you're not able to have those experiences, you come back, a little bit more inspired with a little bit more gusto to get back after it. And I, I feel that way about this. I can, I can't wait to go to a show again. I can't wait to get back to work again and be going in that direction. And, you know, it's all the festivals we do. Um, I'm excited to go to a festival. I'm excited to get to work on it. I think we got a lot of downtime to really polish what we do in terms of every aspect of it from the customer experience to how we market it and the branding that part has me excited. I think, you know, I watched the Coachella special and it was pretty inspiring to me just to watch that and just to kind of gave me a lot of enthusiasm and music isn't going away. People still want this experience. It's just what point do we get to get headed back in that direction? So hopefully in time for Coachella in the fall. Uh, Ed, I think Mike echoed exactly what I said was going to say that people are, uh, People will be starved for entertainment. People are, are starved for that connection. I do think they're going to, you know, I, I, I temper myself because I do think a lot of people aren't going to have money. The Macy's people, the people laid off from Gap, the people laid off from everywhere, all the, all the retail, uh, the salons. But I think people want the experience that live music provides. And I, and I really, that's, that's the one thing that keeps me going. And, and I just keep thinking and saying to my team, how can we do things better? and provide an experience that people are is even more enjoyable and, and that they can walk out of there and feel safe. So I think that's going to be really important for all of us. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, what about you? Silver lining. I, I just think on a personal note, because things have slowed down a little bit, it has definitely given me time to reach out to people that I haven't talked to in a long time. Everybody wants to be on Zoom or Skype. So it's nice to see faces that I haven't seen a long time. And you realize when you're in isolation like this, 
how much you miss the human connection. So that is my silver lining is that at least every day, I at least talk to one or two people that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Well, I appreciate the call. Thanks. <laughs> You're next on the <laughs> list, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Uncle David Britz, what's, uh, what's the silver lining for you? Uh, for me, I think part one of that would be what Nicole said, the, the connection with people. I think, you know, just reaching out and having those conversations, whether it's on the phone or FaceTime or Zoom and, you know, really connecting with people. You know, we're all going 800 miles a minute. And while we're still busy, it's a different kind of busy right now. Um, and I think that, you know, having that moment to connect with people during this whole thing is, has been great. You know, on the other side of it, I'm having a lot of fun developing and fostering the growth of these ancillary um, portions of our artist businesses. Um, you know, be it the live streaming, we've got clients that are developing, you know, online music lessons. We've got all of these things that we did not have the ability to focus all of our energy on. Now we're focusing a ton of energy on these things, growing these, you know, various aspects of, of their business. When we're back up and running uh, with live touring to have these other businesses that we've really spent a ton of time on during this quarantine, really growing and thriving together with a thriving live business is only going to further develop our clients' business. And that's fun for me because what that does is instead of spending this time wallowing, we spent this time, um, you know, setting a path for growth for our artists. And that's what I want to be doing because I can't sit here and be negative all day. And, and this is, you know, the idea of, of, of growing and building and doing, um, that's what's keeping me going. And I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Steve, silver lining from you. Uh, you know, that's a good question. And I hadn't really thought about that until you asked I think my hopefully my silver linings are aspirational in terms of I hope this brings a greater kind of empathy and kindness around the country and around the world when everybody's stuck in the same problem and facing the same things and some perspective and gratitude in men, on many levels, you know, and as you said, the ecology, you know, there's a theory that this is a big F you from Mother Nature, <laughs> you know, like I've had enough, you guys got to calm down, the business will come back. You know, people, I agree with, with Mike and the general theory. You can't replace that live experience at whatever scale that's going to be. John Perellis, actually, about two weeks ago, did a fantastic article. I'll send it to, to you and, and you can distribute it. He's the mu music critic for the New York Times for like 30 years. And he did a wonderful piece on, on how you can't replace that experience. You know, whether you're in a little jazz club seeing something in the moment or a stadium or Coachella. You cannot ex replace the experience of connecting with other people through art. And that goes for theater and that goes for, you know, a lot, lot of other things. Sitting in a movie theater, seeing a new Black Panther movie is a thing you want to do with people. <laughs> it seems like uh, the, the moment of figuring out different hobbies and different things and the development of the industries around it, just like the movie theaters not being open, some of those movies are pushing back and other of them are being released on in demand directly. And they're finding the revenue. There's obviously Netflix is going to have an amazing quarter. So yes. the content is out there. It's a good thing Netflix didn't could handle the servers, could handle the volume. I think that would have really been the end of it. Like people would have gone nuts. But it seems like people are getting used to this. They're handling it. The you know the food supplies are there. People's internet's up. People are figuring out how to work from home. And everybody keeps talking about the slowdown. And 
well, there may not be shows. I, I'm sure you guys are just as busy moving shows, if not busier than you've ever been. And I, I think now we're starting to see a little lull because the last three weeks have just been this craze of finding the new real estate yeah. and then figuring out what world we live in. Any parting thoughts before uh, we, we call it a day? Everybody's shaking their head. I can't thank you. Thanks no. for nice everybody. Nice, yeah. nice to meet some of you guys. David, we'll see you soon. Nicole, nice to meet you. Thank you very and much. Nice to see you. Connor, you're doing a hell of a job. Thanks for having us. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. What a great discussion. It was great to hear some ideas on how this industry, despite all the challenges, is finding a way to find new areas of growth and revenue. Hi, I'm Leslie Olenek from Live Nation Touring, and I'm on Promoter 101. Our quote of the week comes to us from the wise man, Catfish Cooley. That's right, Catfish Cooley, the Southern comic that I don't think owns a t-shirt, loves overalls. You ever done something you know is stupid? I find him to be wise, Luke. Don't you? I certainly know that I have absolutely done a few things stupid. You ever done something you know is stupid? Hello. Gerald B. Henley here doing Promoter 101. That'll do it for episode 210 of Promoter 101. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to our wonderful guests in today's Cyber Roundtable. That's APA's Steve Martin, Joe's on Weed Street, Ed Warm, AG Presents Mike Descharm, Charity Network's Nicole Carlson, and Works Entertainment's David Britz. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed this panel. If you like what you heard, we want to hear it. Email us at steiny at promoter101.net if you have any ideas for the next panel, for the next discussion, the next uh, ideas that we want to put forth here. So hit us up, steiny at promoter101.net. We want to hear from you. We'll be back next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and midnight Greenwich Mean Time. It's going to be a very special interview. Luke is going to do a one-on-one sit-down interview, and this one's very, very, very cool. CAA's Ina Jacobs right here with Luke one-on-one next week on Promoter 101. Very excited for Ina in episode 211 of Promoter 101. Make sure you join us next week. Until then, we're wishing you very happy and healthy lockdown. And we get back to those sold-out shows in the very near future for the weeks to come. Cheers, and call your mother. Mark Campana, I'm with Live Nation Concerts, and I'm on Promoter 101.
Sebo 